Welcome to the Tearing It Up podcast. I'm your host, Taryn. We'll be tearing it up, tearing it down, and tearing it apart, dissecting all things related to those who deviate from the standard. From leaders of their industry to leaders of mediocrity, and maybe a gear review or two thrown in. We shoot the shit and let the conversations flow, so if that's not your style, this may not be for you. Otherwise, listen in. Hope to light a fire in you somehow. Right. Hello, everybody. Um, we are here with Erica Vikander. We're super excited to have her on today. Um, I met Erica, I think it was in 2016 or 15, um, one of those years through Shred Betty's. And we were up in Utah doing, um, gosh, the Betty sessions, a whole like backcountry kind of couple day uh I don't know, retreat's not the right word, but like kind of clinic-y, a bunch of different things. We got to ride and learn some avalanche skill skills. Um, it was really awesome. And she had been riding with Shred Buddies or been a part of that organization for a few years prior to that. Um, and so since then, I've just followed her journey as a snowboarder. And this year, some, some stuff started happening. She started making some kind of waves in uh, bringing up things that people don't want to hear (laughs) and talking about it in the community. So I really wanted to get her on here and have her share her story. And, um, and yeah, so we're just excited to have you here, Erica. So you want to share with us just where, where you're at right now, like physical, actual location and, um, and what you're up to these days. I know it's the end of April, but for us who are like really immersed in the the snow world, like we are still snowboarding and whatnot. So go ahead and tell us what you're up to. All right. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's nice to connect with you again. It's been some time and that's what I loved about Shred Buddies. I still talk to like everybody from the organization because it just brought together so many great people. But I am currently in Hood River, Oregon. I've lived in Oregon for the past, gosh, almost eight years now. I moved up here on a whim. Um, I used to coach at Wendell's in the summertime when I was primarily doing slope style. And then I kind of just never left one year and here I am eight years later. So the season's kind of wrapping up here. I mean, that's also partially why I ended up here because obviously you can ride all year round. And so now I'm I'm not so focused on the terrain park stuff anymore, but it's nice to be near the snow and climbing Mount Hood, summiting Mount Hood. And there's some cool, um, or excuse me, lines to ride off the north side of the mountain. So I've got my sights set on that for the next coming weeks and maybe a couple months until it starts to get too dangerous up there to climb and shred. But yeah, I've been very fortunate to live here. It's been a nice place to base out of while I've been competing on the Freeride World Tour. And I'm close to the mountain and the airport and all of the things. So it's it's been a been a nice place to call home for the past few years. That's awesome. That's kind of my a similar story to how I ended up in Truckee. I've been here nine years now. And it was just like, wow, you know, came for a winter, stayed for a summer and just kept coming back and eventually stayed <laughs> so I feel like that's such a typical story with people mm-hmm. ending up places like oh I just I'll try it for a year and then eight years later like I just never left <laughs> I know it's hard to believe I'm like wow coming up on a decade that's crazy what? yeah totally um so you we know you've been on the free ride world tour but let's talk a little bit about just where your journey started in the first place like when did snowboarding come into your life in the first place Yeah, so I grew up in Montana. Um, I don't really come from a hardcore ski or snowboard family at all. It's pretty funny that I got so into it, to be totally honest. But we would ski on the weekends, like very fair weather skiers. And then when I was about 
probably like 12 or so my older brother switched to snowboarding and I was like that looks way cooler I definitely want to do that so it was a learn faster die sort of situation I just <laughs> he and his friends around the mountain and learned how to keep up real quick because if I didn't I would just get left in the woods so kind of picked it up quickly and um I entered a couple of like little local contests um in Montana before the whole family fell apart and my parents moved to different places and whatnot but I ended up winning this contest where I was competing against people that were all like at least twice my age kind of thing and it was not something that I ever really considered until that moment and I was like oh cool like so people like do these competitions and you like get recognition and then like how do I how do I turn this into something more? And so a couple couple more little contests like that later, and I was like, I want to be a professional snowboarder. So yeah. I feel like I'm actually very fortunate in my life to have had this goal that's driven me for essentially my entire life now. I mean, that's 20 years ago for me. And without snowboarding, I would have been very lost as a human being. And, you know, it's gotten me through all the hard times. It sounds very cliche to say, but like, it guided me throughout my life and through all of the hard parts of the family getting split up and, you know, going through relationships in your teenage years and moving to new places. And I always had this one thing that I was like, it doesn't matter what else is going on in my life. Like I, I want to be a professional snowboarder and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen for myself. Yeah. I mean, just having that constant, I mean, I don't think it's, I'm yeah. Cliche, but everyone hopefully has that and unfortunately a lot of people don't have that constant in their life that they can figure out what that is and go have that for them when they are going through the hard times which can make it even more difficult I know through my life I've had just different things at different times different seasons of lives but there's always been some kind of constant that I can like get to that space and and kind of shut the world out for a little bit, or also the happiest times come from it, bringing your friends together, traveling the world, I'm sure. So yeah, that's amazing. Um, So when you, what competitions, were they like park competitions that you started out or were they slope style? They were more like the ones that I did in Montana were more like bank solemn kind of like racy things, which was definitely not like what I wanted to ultimately end up doing. I didn't even see a terrain park until I moved to Park City, Utah for high school. I guess I must have been like 14 or something when my parents divorced and my dad and I moved to Utah and my mom and my older brother moved to Southern California. And I had never even seen a train park. And it was like kind of one of those things where I got in the park and was like, oh, this is cool. And like day one or two, I hit some jump and broke both my wrists at the same time because it was just the standard, like, catch your edge, put your hands down and just broke both my wrists. And I was like, okay, so definitely that's not (laughs) how you're supposed to do that. learning the hard way (laughs) yeah it was definitely a learning the hard way situation but it was kind of funny like the silver lining of that was I didn't end up having to do schoolwork for like (laughs) three weeks because I literally couldn't hold a pencil oh my god so yeah terrible though I can't imagine I've never I broke a finger this year it was my first bone I ever broke um but I can't imagine like breaking two bones at the same time. I've had friends like with tib fib breaks on both oh. legs. I'm just like, oh God, both the things at the same time just sounds terrible. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. And luckily I was young and just like, whatever, this is fine. I think I still like continued snowboarding. I was just like, I can, I don't, I don't have to use my hands. I just want to yeah. jump. And so I'm like riding around like a zombie. <laughs> just fall under the, like tuck and roll, just tuck totally, and roll. <laughs> totally. But 
yeah, that was um, that was a harsh reality check for me. I bet injuries are the worst. Did it? Did they require surgery? No, luckily they didn't. So it was just like like a really. I broke the scaphoid in my right wrist, which is still broken. I never did anything about it. Um, I can I can now put full weight on it. Twenty years nice. later, no big deal. <laughs> um, and then the other one, like they they said it was broken, but I think it was more just like a really really bad sprain because they didn't do anything. I think it was more like fractured basically. But I was not able to put weight on either of those first in time, and not able to write in school, which was awesome. But <laughs> And then shortly um, after that, I ended up joining the Park City snowboard team and actually learned how to ride park. And then that's kind of where my career really started from because I was like, cool, I want to be a pro snowboarder. I didn't really know how to go about it. Mm-hmm. I liked riding the park and like Park City at that time was epic. Like everyone, all the pros were there. Like everyone was riding these amazing parks that they built, like perfect jumps, perfect rails. So I picked it up really quickly once I had some guidance to show me how not to do things and how to do things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. The I feel like I'm just figuring out really some of these things that like asking for help or learning techniques still because I've, everything I've done, I've just taught myself and I'm just like, oh, wow, I sure wish I would have just uh, looked into that a little further a long time ago. <laughs> I could have had a lot easier time with some oh, of this stuff. But It's so funny. <laughs> I think when we're younger, we're so gung-ho to prove ourselves and so like, I don't need any help for anything. And I was particularly like that in my youth. I had to grow up really fast just with them some family dynamic stuff. So it was like, I can do this. I don't need any help. And then as I've gotten older, it's a lot easier to ask for help. It's still not like one of my strongest suits, but I work mm-hmm. on it daily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I, we did a episode recently about stepping out of your comfort zone. And, and I think Amber and I both mentioned that one thing we're really not comfortable with is asking for help. But as we're getting older, I just, um, I think the reason it's easier for me to ask for help these days is because I feel like I don't have time to waste to try and figure some stuff out myself at times. I'm like, why, why? Like, I don't need to do everything the hard way. Like, can I just ask someone who's done this before or or had a similar issue or anything? Like, let's try to get some of the crud out of the way, but. Yeah. Someone's already been through the hard part of the experience. Mm -hmm. Just ask them, then you can bypass that. And then you can, you'll still have your own hardships. Like Mm -hmm. you're not going to fully get out of it. Scott free, but yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, So how long were you in Park City then? Um, I was in Park City for basically just high school. So I moved there about halfway through my freshman year. And then I graduated through the winter sports school, which was a really cool experience for me. I ended up like, it was, it's like a private school where you end up going to school all summer. So you have the winters off to travel and compete. And I don't come from a wealthy family at all. So I had actually wrote like a scholarship letter to high school. and was like, I really want to be a pro snowboarder. Like, here's what I want. Like, you know, here's a little bit about me, blah, blah, blah. And they ended up giving me a full ride scholarship to go to the school and it was amazing. And that's like something I always like to, I like to share that piece with people because if you don't ask, you never know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people are more than happy to help you if you're a driven person and you want to make the most of it. And I, to this day, I'm still the only person out of my only 22 person graduating class that still does their sport on a professional level. So I think it really like shows that if you if you really want something, like there's always ways that you can make it happen. And sometimes it's easy to get frustrated when you see other people who have things like handed to them and Mm -hmm. have all of these opportunities. But a lot of times they don't have the same work ethic that the people that had to really work for it Mm -hmm. have. So 
while it's still discouraging at times and that we all were allowed to feel those things in life like it's um I feel super proud about that because I like made that happen and mm-hmm. I'm still making it happen and it's amazing and really empowering I think for any anybody yeah that's awesome and like you said if the harder you have to work for things sometimes m- those are the people who continue to do it or are successful in it because especially in the winter sports we all know it can be a very it's a very privileged sport and for folks who get to start early they because I mean living in the destinations or close to is expensive than doing the thing and all the gear all the stuff is so expensive and always has been um so yeah those folks who get to you know kind of do it casually and start that way at a young age you know they just different work ethics and not everybody. Some people get it handed to them and they also are successful and, and driven and all that. There's so many different kinds of people, but I think it's just a good thing to realize too, that not everyone who is a professional skier or snowboarder was just uh, privileged and walked into it and had the easiest time in making it happen. And especially because if, um, I mean, I've seen the sport and you guys both have seen the sport just change so much yeah. since right. its beginning. And there was a time that, you know, like park was the huge thing and, and there was so much money in the industry. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't follow it anymore, I mean, there's not that much in it. Like there was like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to be a professional snowboarder and be rich um, mm-hmm. off of endorsements right. or this or that or anything. It's like, it's it's tough out there. I mean, are you the, still working throughout the year or um, are you, is it all things kind of snowboard related? Um, yeah, everything. I've been super fortunate, at least for the last six years. I haven't had a job outside of snowboarding. I've been supported by my sponsors and through prize money on the tour that I've been able to, you know, I have to be diligent about yeah. my spending, but I feel, you know, pretty fortunate that I haven't had to haven't had to do anything outside of that. And I feel like it's a pretty rare situation, especially for females to be in, in the sport. And yeah, it's like you said, it's, it's incredibly difficult and it's a full-time job. You know, it's not just the fun, like, Oh, I get to go ride pow and like travel the world. Like there's a whole back end of like emails and talking to people and, you know, getting to do fun stuff like this, like podcasts. And it's like, you're constantly spreading yourself all over the place you know absolutely um so from kind of backtracking a little bit back to after park city where did you go after graduating the winter sports school so after that I lived in Salt Lake for I think one or two seasons and I was just kind of figuring out what I wanted to do and then I moved to Breckenridge and I lived in Breckenridge for I think five seasons while I was like really heavily competing on the slope style circuit during Dutour and Grand Prix and all that stuff. And it just made a lot of sense to be there because Dutour used to always start in Breckenridge. That was like the first big comp of the season. They'd always had the big jumps and I rode for Vail Resorts um, back in the day. So I was like pretty keyed in with the Keystone scene and Breckenridge and A Basin and all that stuff. So it was like a really great training grounds and And again, that was like back in the day when everyone was in Breckenridge. It was like everyone was in Park City and then everyone was in Breck. And now it seems like everybody's in Copper. That's in the the park scene, at least in Colorado. It's like the the Brighton crew in Utah and then Copper in Colorado. And no one really like rides Park City or Breck like they used to, which is (laughs) kind of insane. And and I totally get it because like by the time I left Breckenridge, I was like, this place is madness. Like there's so many people everywhere. And it just is kind of one of those like, 
look at me resorts which Mm -hmm. is fine like and that's what a lot of people want to experience but that's like really what I love about Oregon is like in the summertime there is kind of a scene at Timberline as you know but Mm -hmm. the rest of the year like there's like not a scene here at all and it's pretty awesome because nobody like no one cares yes you know there's like want to go shred and it's great and no one's like oh look at my next year's outerwear yeah (laughs) you know you're just like cool this is awesome you're wearing a shirt from like 1980 like I love it let's go to the lab (laughs) totally um so Amber and I both being from Washington I mean we both didn't start snowboarding until like teenage years right like Amber when did you start yeah I was 17 after high school yeah same same (laughs) yeah because um well, we lived like a couple hours from the resort and I didn't have, my family was not winter sport oriented. When my dad was like a kid, he skied when they lived in Eastern Washington. Um, he actually like came over and went to Crystal a few times as a kid, but I just, we wrestled. So all winter long, we were busy. Um, so my senior year, I got to go up night riding a couple times after wrestling practice. And then uh, after I graduated, I just kept going. Uh, there was a couple, the Shell gas stations did this deal of like, you fill yes. up and you get like a $40 lift ticket or something. Oh, so we smart. just, yeah, we yeah. just collected tickets like all throughout the year. And we'd go to all these different resorts in Washington. And then, um, then I started working at Snoqualmie Pass with Amber. Um, and that's, that was like my first season pass. And so the scene up there too, like very different. I mean, when I came to Tahoe was the first time I'd actually really been in like a, like a ski town of what I feel like what a lot of people think of, like there's a village and there's stuff going on and a huge resort. Right. I was like, whoa, the ski town like idea that I have in my head is of Greenwater, Washington, which is like at the time was like 60 year round residents, 150 <laughs> people total. I'm like, this is it. Like Truckee is a city. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy when you get inundated in a place like that after coming from like a relatively small. And I mean, like Bozeman, where I grew up in Montana, it's, I mean, it's, it's a relatively large place, but like mm-hmm. the ski culture is pretty small still. And like the little Bridger Bowl where I grew up snowboarding and skiing is like still, I recently just got to do a trip there like two months or yeah, like two months ago. And it was so amazing to go back. So I was like, ah, it's still like the same. It still has the same feel. I mean, they've replaced some lifts and some infrastructure, but it's nothing like any of the other places that you go. And it's so like, I miss that. That's like really, that's the feeling that I really loved about snowboarding. And like when I first started just having that, it was like the freedom and the Mm -hmm. space to, to express yourself. And I feel like that's getting harder and harder for people with these mega resorts that are happening. And I mean, you know, to each their own, like everybody's got their own thing that they like and what drives them but for me like getting away from the people is actually kind of what's driving me more in my career now (laughs) exactly that's kind of why my boyfriend took a big step back from snowboarding in the last couple years and he's been snowmobiling more because it just kind of lost the lost the sparkle for him the luster um but yeah I mean you know people move on or things like that it's not like he was competing or anything anymore but it's got to be hard when you are still in it and competing and trying to, you know, make this career out of it. And it's all changing around you of like, okay, how do I like pivot with it, but still keep my, you know, morals and what I want, what I believe intact. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I mean, it's, it just, it really just comes down to the person, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's super easy to kind of sell out these days with that kind of stuff. But I feel 
you know, really because of the companies that sponsor me and that I partnered with over the years, like I've been really, really lucky to be able to carve out this kind of niche, which is the perfect word because I ride for niche snowboards. Oh, yeah. um, (laughs) um, I've been able to carve this little this little place out for myself where I still can remain relevant, but like stay true to my core values and hopefully inspire other people to do that along the way. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, I think we need more people like that in all sorts of industries and aspects of people who are remaining true to their values and can show people that like, Hey, it's possible. It's hard and it's not always easy to stick to it, but you can make a way for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So from slope style, you're doing the do tour and all that. Those were huge then. I mean, I don't I don't follow that stuff very much anymore. Is there still a big scene with like the do tour? And a, is it like? Well, now it's actually just down to one contest. So it used to be like a tour. So right. they would have like Breck. There was one in Utah. And I think I forget where the last one was. Um but now it's just one contest and I think they just do one do tour stop at copper in the beginning of the season. And yeah, I mean, it's funny because now that I haven't been in the slope style world for a few years, I kind of have tuned out, but I'm always, I always have like a, an ear kind of pressed that direction. But right. There's so many new, I mean, it's just like world cups now. And it seems um. like, you know, I was there competing and all that stuff. And I was actually like, trying to go to the Olympics for slope style in 2014, um, right before the Sochi Olympics, the first Olympics that would have had slope style snowboarding in it. And I was like in a really good position to qualify and go. And I unfortunately tore my ACL right before that happened, which is kind of what ended up pivoting me into this other aspect of my career. Cause I was just looking at the way it was all changing. And, you know, I, there's, there's positives and negatives to everything, right? But mm-hmm. with the way that the Olympic sanctioning bodies, the FIS came in and kind of like really, really started accelerating change within the slope style realm, I was just, it sucked the soul out of it for me. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, like I really enjoyed snowboarding because it was creative. It was an individual sport. And while you could do it with friends, it was like up to you to put a run together and figure out like what would do well on this course. And then all of a sudden everybody's standing up there with coaches and nobody mm-hmm. has their own thoughts about how to do anything. And I was kind of just like, you know, like, I don't know if this is really like what I want to be doing. Plus you're always, at least for me, like I was always like a little bit injured. Like when you're hitting huge jumps and giant rails all the time, like you're always just like a little broken off. Absolutely. And I didn't want to be broken off anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it made the transition like pretty pretty nice for me. And it was cool to be able to, you know, have this other aspect to go into. Cause I really was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I blew my knee. I can't go to the Olympics now. Like all my sponsors dropped me and it was like a really like sad and dark time, but it's like, it's such a, like, unfortunate, it's such a casual story that I've heard from so many other people where that same thing has happened to so many people. And, and again, that's why I choose the sponsors that I have now because they actually like care about me as a human Mm -hmm. being. I'm not expendable to them. Right. Yeah. You're not just, yeah. Um, yeah. So that really came out, especially this year after all of the stuff that happened on the free ride world tour. And it's nice to just, it's nice to be with people who actually care about you and not just be a number and like, all right, well next. So yeah. yeah, that's got to be something that makes it hard to be able to stay true to your core values is when your, you know, livelihood is affected by other people. And if you can't say what you want, because if they don't like what they hear, then they're just going to drop you. It's right. just 
unfortunate that some people do have to deal with those things. And, you know, even anyone in a regular job can't always voice their opinion because their boss might not agree. And they're like, okay, well, nope, sorry, you don't fit in with us anymore. Bye. Um, And so that, that sucks that you went through that. I'm glad you're at a place now where you have people supporting you. Um, But when you were going through that time uh, with your torn ACL and all your sponsors dropping you, I mean, what was that? And, And as you mentioned in the beginning, like snowboarding is what kind of got you through dark times and things like that so what was kind of going through your mind of like did you have anything else that you thought like I'm gonna have to do this now instead or did you never ever give up on the idea of getting back and just snowboarding professionally just in a different way yeah I mean there was really no thoughts of doing anything else I was like this is like I failure like wasn't really an option and Mm -hmm. I didn't look at that as a failure I looked at it like as a learning curve because like most people who compete in athletics at a high level um have had some sort of major injury that they've Mm -hmm. had to overcome and so it was really I mean I would have loved to have not blown my knee but (laughs) also I think it was probably one of the best things that happened to me because it really showed me my mental strength and how I really was able to come back from something like that and then climb my way to the top of a different aspect of snowboarding which I think was really it was cool to prove that to myself because I didn't even know that like the free ride snowboarding was a thing and to be able to compete at that and then to make it to essentially the same level that I was at on the slope style world or even further was really, again, it's just really empowering to see what you're actually capable of. And sometimes, especially for me and my personality, like sometimes it takes me getting like absolutely knocked down to really kick myself back into gear and be like, all right, like, let's, let's go, (laughs) you know, like, let's see what we can make happen here. And so, I mean, it was, it was a sad time. It was like, I blew my knee in January and I was stuck in Colorado for the next like four months, basically. Cause I was like locked into a lease and I lived on the top floor of this apartment building and it dumped so much all the time. So I was like on crutches, like trying to like go down these sketchy stairs. I had like crampons on the bottom of my crutches. (laughs) So I like wouldn't fall all the time. And like, just trying to go to physical therapy. And then I ended up getting this job driving shuttle vans to Denver airport from Breckenridge, which I don't know how familiar you are with I-70, but it's awful to drive. It's like two hours on a perfect day. Like what? And it's never perfect. There's always some issue. And I was like broken off and I was just like, this is awful. Like I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I was just like, kind of scheming the whole time I was hurt and then I had a friend just be like you should enter one of these these free ride competitions like the following season I was like cool I'll try it you know whatever and I went and did one and ended up getting second at that competition and I was like huh like is this real like all I did was just like I literally just (laughs) rode down the hill like are you joking (laughs) this is crazy (laughs) yeah you didn't have to do any crazy flips or twisties or and I was like I get to choose where I get to go like there's not just like 380 foot jumps that's like there you go like send it and you're just like oh this is amazing (laughs) yeah who knew so that was kind of a cool you know wake-up call and I that first year that I kind of came back from injury I didn't really I didn't really have many expectations I just wanted to make sure I didn't re-blow my knee because that's what happens to a lot of people unfortunately Mm -hmm. Was that the, when the North Face Masters, was that when you started competing or was it the uh, Subaru, like, It was the Subaru Series, yeah, so the first one I did was that Snowbird, and it was 
pretty awesome just like come full circle because I kind of got my start in Utah and all the things so it was a little nostalgic to go back there that's awesome 2015 2016 season um I think that was 2015 that was like the first year that I did it and then 2016 the following season I did like the two-star contests for the free-ride world qualifiers because you have to like gain enough points to get into the four stars which are the ones that will qualify you for the free-ride world tour so I spent the next season like accumulating the points I needed to get into the four stars on um, the 2017 season and that season I ended up winning the one spot for the female snowboarders and got on the world tour in 2018 and I've been on it till this year where there was a lot of outside factors that prevented me from finishing the season. Yeah. So you, you went through all the steps getting onto the tour, which is not easy, especially how, so how many, just to give anyone who's not familiar with the the tour and the points, um, like how many competitions did you have to do in the two star to even be able to qualify for the four star or like how many, yeah. How many points do you get per uh placements I I can't recall exactly the number of points but I definitely had to do probably like four or five contests where you basically you know you need to be on the podium basically Mm -hmm. every time to to get enough points to get into the four stars and then yeah from the four stars I think I was I was on the podium every contest that season and that was what qualified me for the tour and I think I mentioned there's only one spot for snowboard Mm -hmm. female there's two spots for ski females there's the two spots for snowboard males and there's four spots for ski males so the numbers are not equal and that's no i was gonna say that's a little unfair yeah and that's just in that's just the north american spots correct so and then there's a, a second region which is the european region and so they have the same numbers so there's two new women that qualify or snowboard women each year and then there's only six of us total and oh, that's what I was gonna ask next <laughs> yeah so throughout the year you so you you make it onto the tour it's like incredibly difficult to make it onto the tour and then you have to maintain your spot so you have to be in the top 50 percent of your field because there's a cut after there used to be they used to give us four contests to make the cut but now it's only three um so you have to be in the top 50 percent of your field for the after the first three contests otherwise you get dropped from the tour and you have to go back to the qualifying tour so wow yeah it was um it's a lot it's really difficult and i i i've been told and i've researched it a little bit myself but i'm pretty confident that i'm the longest standing requalified snowboard female or European, but I'm just going to go with North American, um, that the tour has ever had that has never been handed a wild card and never got an injury thing or whatever, which again, I feel like I'm, I'm very proud of that because it's not easy to maintain those spots. (laughs) Not at all. I guess I didn't realize that, um, they dropped halfway people halfway through. That's, that's rough to have worked all those years. I mean, it, it can take people, I, I know people who are still like doing four star competitions and I don't know if that's just because they like to compete or if they're like vying to get on the tour but right. regardless I know of people who it's taken them years to be able to get to that so to imagine you know just a couple of bad days because you get one shot on the tour right like you get one right. line for that competition 
and unwritten first like it's only visual inspection correct which also you're set at a disadvantage right off the bat when you come from the north american qualifiers because of our lovely sue happy nation that we live in we have to like physically ride down the lines most of the time and like while they won't let you hit the cliffs and stuff you can ride right next to the takeoff and right next to the landing like you're pretty it makes it a lot easier to figure out where you're trying to go and then pardon me you get to the free ride world tour and you're like in these really gnarly mountains going out there just looking at them from the bottom with binoculars and like the first couple years that i did it now we get drone photos so you can actually see what it looks like from the top. But the first couple of years, we didn't have that. So you're, you're literally just looking from the bottom. And anybody who's ever looked at something from the bottom and then gotten on top knows it does not look the same. No. And it's incredibly hard to find landmarks. And, you know, it's, it's really dangerous. Like, these, it's not like these are beginner slopes that we're on. Like, if you mm-hmm. make a wrong turn, like, you're, you could possibly be on top of a 100-foot cliff and be in a really bad position. So it's, you know, for any North American to come in and be able to maintain a spot in any of the categories is amazing because we come in at such a huge disadvantage. And right. on top of that, it's incredibly expensive for people to travel to these contests. Like you don't get, you know, I think they maybe give you discounted lift tickets, but it's still, it's a lot. And you have to pay, you know, 200 plus dollars for an entry fee and travel to all these things. And yeah, like I know people that have been trying to get on the world tour for like almost 10 years and mm-hmm. it's, and then it's a lot. It's a lot of commitment. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of money. And I just wish that it was a little bit more evenly spread throughout the categories. And, you know, there's a lot of particularly snowboard women that want to get into these contests and want to have a chance on the tour and they just won't give us the spots. And that's kind of what a lot of my new focus has been this year is just trying to bring a little bit more awareness to like, Hey, you know, like, we're pretty tired of like getting the shaft on this all the time. And there's a lot of talented women who deserve to be able to showcase their skills just like everybody else is. Yeah. Cause aside from the tour, I mean, there's nothing else in free ride, like, you know, and all these in park or slope style or anything, there's a lot of different kinds of competitions. I mean, there's still only one Olympics, but I mean, there's X games, which just depending on you and how you what your goals are but for free ride like it's the free ride world tour and that's that's it right yeah it essentially is the olympics of yeah of that sport but now i mean again and i did see some changes happen they just got bought by this by fis the olympic sanctioning body so like that is going to change and they are going to try to make that into olympic sanctioned sport which i don't agree with but it doesn't really matter because i'm not a part of it anymore but Mm -hmm. i do think it's going to put the sport in a way that's going to have more of a negative effect than a positive effect, just based on what I experienced firsthand in slope style. Right. On the other side of that, I mean, the only other thing that is comparable now is the natural selection tour. Ah. um, Travis and Liam and the founders of that did like an incredible job coming in three years ago and put on like an unbelievable production and the amount of talent that they brought in for that. And for me, like that's that's what I'm looking towards. I know that's what a lot of other backcountry freeriders are looking towards doing something like that as well, because it's kind of a perfect mixture of your freestyle elements, your free ride elements, and just the production value is unbelievable. Like what they've yeah. been able to pull off in such a short amount of time is like nothing short of a miracle. Right. And it's kind of back to the roots. I feel like anyone I've seen, like all the pros I've seen involved and whatnot still really hold strongly to the roots of snowboarding and why they started and like 
your reasons of just the, the freedom of it really like this sport right. just I mean being out with your friends out in nature just being a part of the mountains and it wasn't all just for like let me take you know first in all these competitions and win a bunch of money and be endorsed by all these brands it's like it's truly for the love right exactly uh, and that's what I really appreciate and respect about what they're doing over there and I think everybody who's like true to the industry also really recognizes that and appreciates that because we've been we needed a little bit of refreshment like that mm-hmm. it's been a lot of just like contest jockey things for yeah, way too long yeah. <laughs> yeah it's really interesting the um the what happens when sports enter the olympics because so many people on the outside i mean we look at the olympics as the mother of all all things like of any sport like if you're an olympic gold medalist like wow just the american spirit or something you got to represent the country in the world and you were the best at it but folks not especially these sports that are not so mainstream i mean things change in them and it's like it's not the reason why many people chose to to enter I know that even with surfing and skating getting entered into the Olympics there was a lot of people like yeah no that's definitely going to change the the whole aspect of it the whole lifestyle everything that you can always keep it on your own but um it's it's interesting how I mean pros and cons for sure and all Mm -hmm. depends on what your role in it is and your overall goals but I, I think it definitely changes the industry for sure yeah yeah I agree with that and you know, we'll just, we'll have to see, see yeah. what happens with that, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm just curious of how the heck they, being very familiar with the tour of just having some other friends who've been on it in the past, uh, just so curious on how the hell they'd even make the, make that an Olympic sport of just location. I mean, the hard time they have just with the tour, keeping the same spots through gnarly ass conditions, which obviously you can attest to of being on it for the last six years. So bringing it to this year, um, tell us kind of what happened this year, why you've, uh, left the tour. And I just want to hear your, your side of it if anyone's familiar and has followed along or anything I think it'd be very very interesting for them to hear because I know the world tour shouted you out of like oh it was great working with you like we're sorry to see you go and it's like um like this was a completely amicable like mutual decision here yeah that was you know it was it was really hurtful to be totally honest like I spent six years with this quote-unquote free ride family who at the end of the day was not my family and did not have my back for anything at all and you know long story short um we have to deal with different weather and snow conditions and all that stuff. And I realized that that is a major part of what we do. We have to be adaptable. We have to be able to make, you know, change plans, whatever. But what happened this year was they gave us the schedule for the tour stops in July, I believe, which is even earlier than normal. But so, you know, we have these five stops and I plan my winter accordingly with sponsor trips, with film shoots, with guiding. I, I guide with a company in Japan and I really, I look forward to to going to Japan and I look forward to guiding with that company. And we had 12 women that signed up to come snowboarding with me. And we had this women's like empowerment and progression week that was planned months in advance after I had my tour schedule, blah, blah, blah. So what ended up happening is they had to cancel the first stop 
in Kicking Horse, which was supposed to be like mid January. They let us know maybe like two weeks prior to us going up there. So it was like, wow. It wasn't a lot of time to really do anything about it. And I had already committed to these to this trip in Japan. Which Why was, did they cancel it? Like weather or they said there just wasn't enough snow. Oh which, wow. Which perhaps is true. I mean, based on looking at the photos, like I, I think we could have done it. We've ridden really shitty Worse. conditions like <laughs> yeah. everywhere else in the world. But for some reason it's and you know, I I have to think it's probably my own biased opinion but it's like because everyone from Europe would have had to come over to North America for that one they decided that it wasn't good enough but when we all have to travel to Spain and Andorra and have shitty conditions every year it's totally fine for us to waste our money and time Mm. and energy going over there but perhaps that's just my own bias just what I've seen for six years yeah totally Um, so what ended up happening was I had already committed to this trip they rescheduled the contest for the exact same date as this trip I'm an adult. I follow through with my my obligations that I've committed to with people who have spent thousands of dollars to go snowboarding me. So I basically just told the tour as soon as I knew that they rescheduled it for the same time. I was like, hey, I am not going to be able to make this Canada stop because you guys changed the date. And I had planned on it being at this date that you gave to me in July. And like, I can't make it. So that will only give me two chances to qualify for finals instead of three which is what everyone else happens and the advantage of having three is you have a throwaway run Mm -hmm. so they basically take your best two results out of three and those will be your points that will qualify you for finals and for the tour the following season so knowing that I was only going to have two opportunities to qualify I immediately went to the tour and was like hey I you know like this was probably going to be my last year on the Freeride World Tour anyways because my sponsors have been really advocating for me to get out and just start filming and you know working on more passion projects which is like everyone's dream you know you kind of compete so that you get those opportunities mm-hmm. and so I had already kind of had it in my mind like this is probably going to be my last year and so I went to them and was like you know I I unfortunately like won't be able to make this contest. I would be, you know, I'm going to do my, I'll try to do my best, obviously at the first two stops, hopefully I can just qualify. But like, if I can't, I would really appreciate if you guys would consider giving me a wild card for the final stops. Cause I've proven myself six years in a row at this point. And, like, Real quick. Sorry. Can you just explain what a wild card is and like how many they give out a year? Well, that's the funny thing is there is no rhyme or reason to this. It's just whomever they care to give one to. It's like social media following or if you're from the right country or if you're friends with the right person or Mm -hmm. whatever. It's very biased and it's there. There are rules written in the rule book about it, but they don't follow the rules about Mm -hmm. that stuff at all. And so it's really just like whoever they decide at the time, they'll just give a wild card to. And so being a female, being a snowboarder, being North American are like three strikes against me, essentially. So yeah. even though I deserved a wild card, I'd proven myself multiple times. It wasn't my fault that they changed this contest date on me. They essentially told me like, we don't give out wild cards for final stops. And I was like, <laughs> hmm, that's weird. Cause I've definitely watched you guys do that for the last six years. Yeah. Pretty sure I know year. someone who got one of those. Yeah, I know a lot of people. Who yeah, and I, it was just kind of a slap in the face, you know. And I was just like, you know, that's really, that's really unfortunate that you guys like wouldn't, wouldn't help me out here. Somebody that, in my opinion, you know, like I'm, I'm the first one to be like, I deserve something or I don't deserve something, and I deserved to be able to finish my career, just like they allowed other people who were in the exact same position to finish their careers, and also offered other people who were unable to make 
the Canada stop this year, a full season wild card for next year. What? I wasn't offered the same thing because I'm not a ski man. So with that in mind, I did, you know, I podiumed at the first contest and I had a few like pretty heated discussions with the CEO of the tour in and around that contest, like leading up to it and afterwards, because I'm on the pro free riders board. So they have two people who represent each category, like one from region one and one from region two, so that if the athletes have any sort of concerns about anything, like we go and we speak to the organization on their behalf. So they're not having to have 50 side conversations with people. And so we were having a meeting in the beginning of the season before the Spain contest had even happened. And, you know, we were all just kind of expressing concerns. Everybody was really concerned about safety and about, you know, kind of how the conditions looked or lack of snow and all the different stuff. And we were just kind of discussing options. And I essentially made the same points as my male counterparts and was silenced, like very aggressively in front of my peers by the CEO of this company. And I like, it was like something in my brain just finally switched because I've dealt with a lot of misogynistic stuff for the last six years on this tour. Like it's not anyone that you talk to, like, it's not a secret. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that's like how it is. And I just kind of finally hit my breaking point where I was just like, you know what, like, this is outrageous. Like, you cannot talk to me like this. I'm a grown woman. Like, this is my health and my safety on the line. And you're treating me like I am just like some annoying little like 10 year old that's just like, well, listen to me. And that was kind of how it was positioned to me, you know, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say exactly what was said to me, mm-hmm. because it's all he said, she said stuff, but just right. the overall vibe and feeling was very negative. And I, I knew at that point, that I wasn't going to make the cut. Does that make sense? Yeah. And having spoken to some of the people that within the organization, it seemed like everyone knew that I wasn't going to make the cut at that point. And so I essentially just became kind of like the martyr and the voice for everybody. And I was like, cool, if I'm going to get fucked, then I'm going to like tell you guys how it really is. So yeah. like, let's talk about it. And so I, you know, at very, you know, I'm, a little bit upset about it still obviously but I went in like very like calmly and wasn't swearing wasn't yelling wasn't doing anything it was just like hey like this is the way it is it took me this many years to like feel not valued by you guys we don't get the same representation we don't have the same numbers we don't have this like fact 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 this is how we can change things and again it was kind of like like stop complaining you should just be happy to be here and that's such a frustrating thing for women to hear because I feel like that that happens to all of us in every mm-hmm, industry yeah. it's not mm-hmm. just snowboarding it's not skiing it's not just athletics it's business it's every single thing and I'm so tired of having to be thankful for these little crumbs that were handed absolutely yes. that is like just, we are equal human beings and that feeling that like yeah you should just be thankful you're here is just mm-hmm. the like it's like dehumanizing mm-hmm. it is. and it's yeah we slap in the face exactly i mean i can't imagine we do have a lot of opportunities here being in north america and you know first world countries and it it's still just insane the shit that women deal with on a worldwide spectrum and right. i think we're all over it and the fact that people aren't realizing that this needs to end and they're still trying to play especially in a role like this where skiing like women have 
begun to get voices and be able to make moves in the ski industry. But this goes to show you just like actually how far behind some of it still is. It's like pretty mind blowing. Well, and it's unfortunate too, because I mean, it, it took me six years of frustration to like finally get to this point where I was like, I have to say something like I can't, I can't like sit by and allow this to happen. But I fortunately have the support of companies that don't care if I compete on the Freeride World Tour or not. And so the difference between me being able to do that and the rest of the girls in my category mm-hmm. being able to do that is night and day because mm-hmm. without the Freeride World Tour, they essentially don't have a career anymore. They right. don't have the same amount of sponsor relationships and whatever. And that's all part of what I'm talking about is like, because mm-hmm. you guys don't promote them well enough, they aren't able to gain leverage and, you know, get new sponsorships, get new money, monetize themselves in the way that the men are able to. So, so they're just, it's like, you know, you're holding the head back and they're running forward yeah. and they're just like, and so I, you know, kind of took it upon myself to, to be the voice for everybody, even though I'm not even on the tour anymore because I didn't, they changed the contest date. I didn't requalify and I didn't get a wild card, which, you know, boohoo, that sucks. Like I I had hoped they would do the right thing, but they didn't. And then to, to circle back to the post that you were talking about, like that was also like another slap in the face. Like you guys really like kind of did me wrong there it was very hurtful and super disappointing. And then you make a post saying like, oh, like we wish you the best and you're just moving on to do other things and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, no, like, no. A bold face lie. Yeah. To protect their own ass. Right. And like, I'm an adult. Like I'm not a 19 year old kid who's too afraid of this organization to do Mm -hmm. anything. So Mm -hmm. sorry. Like that was why it took me, you know, a couple of months to finally put it all to paper because it was, as a woman, again, if you say anything with emotion, you're crazy or you're being a bitch or you're out of line or whatever. So you have to be very strategic about how you do these things and how you present it to the public, which again, my male counterparts wouldn't have had to do. It didn't have to do. They just said whatever was on their mind in the Mm -hmm. meeting and it was totally fine. But when I said it, it became an issue. And then I was, I had a bad attitude and blah, blah, blah. So you know, it took me a long time to put it all to paper, but I really felt like it was my moral obligation to write what I wrote and post on my website. And I shared it with a ton of media outlets who hopefully will be, you know, posting it in the coming weeks and stuff. But also when I went to the media with it, like surprise, surprise, a lot of those are run by men as well. Mm-hmm. They don't want to listen to these stories. They don't yeah, care. They're, no, we don't have the audience for that. Or that's, that's for yep. somewhere else. We'll just go share it with, with those yep. girls over there. Yep. hundred percent. Not and everyone so, uh, will get to see it. And yeah. And it was funny because it was like, it was therapeutic for me to write it mm-hmm. just for myself. Yes. And then to try to share it almost brought up all the same feelings again. So I was just like, God damn it. Like mm-hmm. every industry is like this. And then mm-hmm. when I finally went public with it, it was like really amazing and inspiring to see how many people, men and women that reached out to me with similar stories or just were, you know, excited that somebody was speaking up for all mm-hmm. this, which like, again, is not exactly what I wanted to be focusing a lot of my energy on this winter. But morally speaking, I was like, I have to do this. Like, I have friends who are in these industries. I have a five-year-old niece that, like, if she grows up and has to deal with this shit Mm -hmm. still, I'm going to be so upset. And she will. Like, I'm not naive enough to think it's all going to go away. Exactly. I do think that when, when somebody like me gets so frustrated and like creates these ripples and, you know, all of these little effects, like talking with you, having all these other conversations with people, it does start to force a little bit of change. Mm -hmm. 
And my positioning with them was that we just, we need to have more women on Mm -hmm. the tour. And Mm -hmm. that's just really a pretty simple fix, honestly. Yeah. And while they haven't reached out to me at all, I've heard nothing from them since I posted that. But I did hear through the grapevine that they're considering adding one more female (laughs) snowboard spot this year. And but they haven't said uh, like to what like that. So that would be in both regions. So each region would get three or just like Um, one more spot (laughs) no I think one more total oh wow so there would be seven women instead of six women so it's almost like again like it's almost a slap in the face but it's like I can't complain because you guys did do something yeah but that's kind of the whole theme of that organization it feels like to me is like give them just enough so that they can't complain Mm -hmm. but let's not actually do anything about it Mm -hmm. with so many people bare minimum just to keep your mouth shut and like keep going but it's pretty fucking weird to me it like isn't it more opportunity for money for them to have more women i mean if the athletes pay so much into this themselves so why is it so hard for you to say here's 10 women's spots you want to grow a sport then why is there even less women's spots than men's women's spots i mean this is still happening in running like in races that there's less way less women than men that who can even qualify and it's fucking running like yeah. something that, like it, it's so insane. insane and and what they also need to realize is like women are the consumers we are the people yes. that buy shit mm-hmm. so 70 percent of the outdoor space is women female driven consumers yes so why would you like cut those people out i'm not sure it seems like really poor business practice to me but yeah. what do i know i'm a woman yeah right exactly that just makes my blood boil though just everything about it and the silencing and and because I I do not do well with that and like you said I can just imagine a man in your position being able to be in the meeting and say all these things and get an attitude have a tone and maybe throw in like some harsh words and maybe they'd be upset with them or something but they wouldn't just like be like shush you're done and you're crazy. Like just, you're really blowing this out of proportion. Are you on your period or something? Like, like, come on. Well, it's yeah. like, no, I'm just, uh, I've been bottled up for so long and trying to hold this. And like you said, you kept your cool and whatnot. Anyway, you did not blow up on them. You no. were strategic about what you're doing. The fact that you had to be strategic about it and take so long to be able to even talk about it. It's fucking bullshit that yeah. you felt that you, you were still like quieted to yeah. the point that that you probably wouldn't have been if you were a male especially a male european skier in, with this organization who has yeah. the the most play with these guys yeah um and i think it's pretty obvious for anyone watching it as well i mean like yeah. anyone that mm-hmm. looks at the tour is like hmm seems very one-sided yep. like, yeah and then you get into it and you're like wow this is way gnarlier than I could have ever imagined and you know part of me is like I just transparency right Mm -hmm. like if you're gonna treat us like shit just be upfront about it Mm -hmm. and like if we're not gonna get treated equally like that's fine but like you need to let everyone know what they're actually getting themselves into and that was another reason why I felt it was so important for me to write what I wrote because all these girls on the qualifiers and the junior tour that want to get onto the free ride world tour like they have no idea what it's actually like exactly and they have no idea like what kind of stuff you have to put up with on top of being a professional athlete on top of traveling on top of doing this already scary thing that takes a lot of your mental capacity you also have to like fight these internal battles all the time Mm -hmm. and it's 
it's just, it was a public service announcement, I suppose, in a way yeah. where I was like, hey, everyone, like, this is actually what it's like. Like, it's cool. This should be like the most amazing opportunity of your life. But like, this is how it actually is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. just don't, don't go into it thinking it's going to be like, you know, blue crush where you yeah. win the contest at the end of the day and they're like, what's Hell that? You're right, boy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're like, on billabong and you're like, no, that's not how the shit works. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Totally. Oh, Blue Crush, man. So Gotta good. Love it. Gotta love <laughs> it. It's a classic. It is uh, a classic. But I mean, I think that's amazing what you're doing and taking the stance. And because like you've mentioned, you don't have anything to lose. And you've been in the position in your life where if you say the wrong thing or speak your mind, truly say what you're thinking, like your sponsors and your livelihood could just disappear out from under you. So many people don't have the opportunity to be able to say it and they're sucking it up and going along because they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? Give up your hopes and dreams um, just for saying something when you can like suck it up and it's, it's right. bullshit that anyone ever has to deal with that in their lives. Um, but it is so important for those people who are in the positions to, to speak that they do speak so that they can give power to those people in those lesser positions, because that can also open eyes even to the sponsors of they might not know what's going on in the tours, some of these people's sponsors, and and for them to see what you're saying could be like, wow, we have to, you know, support these women in other ways. And we want to talk to them and we want to make them feel that if they are, you know, feeling this way and, and not supported by the tour, that we have their backs, you know, right. we can help them find other um other projects and other things to do and if they you know end up just going back to qualifiers instead like we're still there 100 for them so i think it's just so hugely important like i said when people are in a position to be able to speak then they need to fucking speak because right. it, it helps everybody else um right. you're you're that voice for the folks that don't have the voice well, and I attribute a lot of the success that we've had, like as females, as far as getting equal pay to the women's soccer team that mm -hmm. went to bat for all of us like a few years ago. Like they are literally the reason that we started getting paid equally only three years ago yeah, yeah. on the Free Ride World Tour, which is also insane. Mm -hmm. But again, that that conversation was positioned with us in a meeting where it was like, hey, like our sponsors of the tour essentially like want us to pay you guys equally. And if we don't, like they're not going to sponsor the tour anymore. Like we don't <laughs> agree that. with it, but this is like what's going on. And we were like jaws to the floor. Like, are you kidding? You actually like you just, just said that? that? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Why would you even say that out loud? Even if that's, that's how professional. it is. Like, yeah. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? But yeah. that's like, that's the type of organization that we're dealing exactly. with. But again, like without those women taking the stand that they did and like how they went about it, was so unbelievable in the middle of their season during mm -hmm. huge games, huge matches, having these press conferences, like, and they made an impact for all of us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's that type of attitude that we all need to emulate a little bit more in our own personal yes. lives. Because mm -hmm. like, while I don't have a team to back me, like, mm -hmm. I know there's thousands of women who are like, yes, like, say it, say it loud. Yeah, like, yeah. We want this, you know, but like, it's hard to kind of unionize with everybody mm -hmm. when you're an individual sport like this so it's like totally. I I attribute a lot of it to them and I like respect those women so much for what they've done for all of us but we still have a long way to go absolutely mm -hmm. and that's a really great point that you make by mentioning like they changed it the soccer team for for everybody and we have to keep that in mind as women when we want to speak or advocate for anything that it is like being a woman is a fucking just sisterhood that you are just in because 
you may not be in the same same realm, same world, may live completely different lives, but there is that ripple effect by standing up for one thing. It can trickle down to so many different layers and levels. And we have to realize that about each other, that right. like we're all just trying to fucking survive and walk this earth like we are equal humans to the other right. sex on this earth. And yeah. the fact that we yeah. have to think about that every day still and like anything we do is because we have our own like moral not even morals but like just own ideas societal beliefs that were put into our head of like if we're thinking about a raise you know it's like well do I deserve it or like no like if, if I ask for the raise you know me and my boss isn't a good position to give it to me but like right. why the why why we think about everybody else not ourselves totally. we need to know that like we have to take care of ourselves and that will help everyone around us it's the fucking cliche put your oxygen mask on first and then then right. help others like you have to ask for what you want what you need and you have to say it um and that and will help other people as well down the line 100 percent. well i uh we're definitely going to be putting your linking like your website and your blog into the show notes and your Instagram and all that. So folks can follow you, but they can also read your blog where you go into a little bit more, just kind of detail rehash what we talked about here of the tour and people can look into the tour and kind of learn about it in itself. And, um, you know, those people that I know that are out there still competing and like more power to you, like I said, you know, go for it, do what you want um i'm just really glad you're you're calling them out and hopefully they do make the changes but much like you experienced with your knee injury and slope style and how it ended up being like the best thing for you i mean you have that experience to be able to look back on it and know that though the the timing of it and i'm sure it was a hard thing to let go of at first now you know like well this could be the next best thing that happened to me was leaving the tour and moving on to to other things Totally. Yeah, it was really, I I actually, like, when I went to Japan after the first two stops of the tour, and I just got to go soul shredding again, and just, like, ride actual snow. Crazy. Like, why I like snowboarding. It's snowboarding on snow, not rocks and ice. Um, Yeah, it was really, it was so fulfilling to, like, go and find that again. And I'm, I'm, you know, the future is bright. I'm really excited to see what I get to do next year, and to have the support with, to make movies, and hopefully, hopefully get into natural selection, and you know, just everything, it's all good. And everything happens for a reason. And for whatever reason, I, I was the the strong enough candidate to deal with that situation on the free red world tour. And I'm happy to do it for the rest of the women. That's amazing. And we can't wait to see where you go on your career with snowboarding. I'm sure that you're just going to continue to make waves, make moves and make changes. Um, before we sign off or anything, is there any any place you want to send people or any sponsors you want to shout out or anything else to share? Well, I really I have to shout out to my sponsors, primarily Niche Snowboards, Picture Organic, Zeal, Buff, um, my main core sponsors, everybody else, of course, that supports me. But those have been the really the main supporting ones for the last few years. I really appreciate you guys and my family and my friends and really to all the ladies. I mean, we all, we all just have to have each other's backs and you know, the more that we support each other, the further ahead we get in life. So oh, don't yeah. let the men pit us against each other. Exactly. Right. <laughs> None of that. Yeah. We are not competition with each other. Like very much, you know, sometimes you are in an actual competition, but in the end it's all for, for the good of the, uh, of it's the true. collective. Right. Yeah, and also like being being a competitor my whole life, like literally no one cares and no one knows your competition results aside from you. 
Like you are not only your competition results. It's just like a feeling that passes that will come and go and you can find that feeling elsewhere outside of competition. So like if it's not your thing to compete, like there's many other ways to be a professional snowboarder. And I also have to give a shout out to men. Like there are a lot of very supportive, awesome men out there. I'm not like a man hater by any means. Absolutely. There's a certain few that like need to be called out and I'm happy to do that. But like there are a lot of men (laughs) that support us and what we're doing. So like I do have to say that as well because I don't want to be like, wow, she hates men. I'm like, I don't. I just... (laughs) I just dislike these other ones very strongly. Yes, no, we totally agree with you there. We kind of say that often, like, you know, we're not like a man-hating woman club or anything. Um, right. We we love our men um, and those that support us, but there's still, you know, people in, so and there's women out there, you know, who aren't supportive. Yeah. Like, right. just people got to be called out. And unfortunately, a lot of the fight is just against a, a majority of of men. But, you know, we still we love our supportive men. Yeah, yeah. Gotta shout them out. Everybody likes to feel heard and seen. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, Erica, thank you so much for joining us today. This was awesome to have you. And you know, hopefully maybe we'll have you again maybe next year after we see what you're what you're doing and you can give us some updates. And um, yeah, we're just excited to see what's up your sleeve now. Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a lovely conversation with you ladies. Appreciate what you're doing and giving me a platform to share my story and Look forward to the next time. Absolutely. All right. Okay. With that world, we will see you guys or talk to you guys next week. (laughs) Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode and would do us a huge favor since we don't have any sponsors or anything like that and would rate and review us on whatever platform it is you use, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, uh, whatever it is. And if you're listening and downloading just through the website, tearingituppodcast.com, leave comments. Um, We'll definitely engage back with you. And on social media right now, we're just on Instagram, tearingituppodcast is the handle. Like the posts, share the posts, comment on the posts, whatever it is you got, um, show us your love so we just stay relevant and show up in the rankings at all. So again, rate and review, please. And we'll see you next time. Thanks.